Atheist Nomads, episode 370, The Secular Coalition for America, with Casey Brink. The podcast you're about to listen to includes cursing and talking about hoo-hahs. Please be advised. Welcome to another episode of Atheist Nomads. I am Dustin, and in a little bit, I'll be joined by Casey Brink. Uh, but get a little bit of house cleaning and a couple of news stories that I want to talk about before we get to that. So... Yeah, this is episode 370, and I had the goal a while ago of doing a live stream about every five or ten episodes, and we haven't done one th- since 350, I think, so we kind of fell behind on that. Uh, the live streaming setup is still really close to being done, and I will be finishing getting that, the the improved, even more improved version of that setup before, before too long. Uh, hopefully in two weeks we'll shoot for but yeah we're got the the camper done it's it's everything's fine with that and trying to get as much um use out of that and also finishing up some some additional repairs that were still needed that yeah so haven't gotten to it um we will soon i promise um i will hopefully have more details next week and in the news there's a couple stories that were just way too big to not talk about. Uh, first, we're going to talk about Kenosha, Wisconsin. This is a story that I know everybody's heard, um, but yeah, I, I still want to talk about it too anyway. It all started with a with Jacob Blake, who was black, going to help break up a domestic fight. A neighbor of the couple who was fighting saw this and called the police. Not about Blake trying to break up the fight, but about the domestic disturbance. So he was there trying to help, and... The police were called. The police talked to him. And as he was walking back to his car, they had their guns drawn and aimed at him. He had told them what his involvement was. And he did tell them that he had a knife in his car. Uh, This is something that, when opening arguments talked about this, that Andrew pointed out that in the advice that he would give anybody to cut down on their chances of being killed by the police, if you have a weapon, disclose it. That will make it so the police won't be surprised and will decrease the chances of something bad happening to you. So he was doing everything as right as possible. And then when he started to open up the door to his car, a police officer grabbed him And while starting to throw him to the ground, shot him in the back seven times. He is now paralyzed, probably for the rest of his life from the waist down. Uh, It's amazing after being shot at point-blank range seven times that he survived. The most reasonable description of what happened there is the police attempted to execute somebody for trying to break up a fight. And failed. So obviously... That sparked a whole new round of protests. And with the continued lack of government action, obviously the anger was high enough that there was some vandalism. Also, nearly everyone arrested by the police for being involved in in any acts of violence or any vandalism was from out of state or at least out of town. So it wasn't even the angry, it's not even the angry local people that are acting violently like most of these cases. It's outside agitators trying to make things worse. Well, a militia group put out a call for people to come protect businesses from the vandals. One person who responded to that call was Kyle Rittenhouse. 
a 17-year-old from across the border in Illinois who took his AR-15 across state lines, joined a defensive perimeter around a car dealership, talked to the police, they thanked him for being there and helping protect this business, they gave him water. He was a 17-year-old in possession of an assault rifle something that is illegal in both the states of Wisconsin and Illinois. In Wisconsin, you need to be 18 to have a weapon in your possession. In Illinois, you need to be 21. And in both states, you need to be at least 21 to do open carry. So he was in illegal possession of a firearm and crossed state lines with that, which makes it a federal offense as well. <laughs> Then, as he was leaving the car dealership, he was walking past the protesters. He heard a shot fired, and he turned and fired in the direction that the sound of a gunshot came from. Like, literally, he just turned around and opened fire. Uh, he shot someone. People tried to get the gun away from him, so he shot more people. In the end, two people were dead. And by the time the police responded, he ran past them with his hands up and tried to turn himself in, and they told him, no, get out of here. The police were responding to a shooting and told the shooter to leave the scene. This is the same police department that had just shot a man for trying to help break up a domestic disturbance. You want to know why there's protests? That is why there's protests. There are serious, serious issues here that go deep. And among them is the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse has gotten kudos from the President of the United States and has multiple fundraising attempts to cover his legal defense, including one that was done on a Christian fundraising site called Give, Send, Go, which exists to raise money to send missionaries overseas. And they've raised at least $270,000. This is disgusting. Everything about this is disgusting. And in Portland, over last weekend, a group of right-wing, pro-gun, militia or militia-like organizations organized a parade of vehicles, mostly uh, pickups with a lot of Trump flags to go from the suburbs around Portland into downtown where the protesters are. The police asked them to stay out of downtown and they went into downtown anyway. One of the groups was Patriot Prayer. They continued as they continued into downtown, they started releasing bear spray and shooting paintballs into the crowd. Now, if you've already got protests that have been going on for more than two months, and you go in and you start hitting people with paintballs and spray bear mace at them, that is looking for a fight. And they got one. One of the Patriot Prayer members, Aaron Danielson, uh, was shot and died in the middle of that. They're trying to claim and are getting Trump to claim that these are radical anarchists. 
No, these are people protesting for an end to systemic issues. And militia groups coming and firing into a crowd, even with paintballs, is a ridiculous amount of agitation. And as often as the interactions between those protests and federal forces or local police or counter-demonstrations has turned violent, it would make sense that there'd be some people on either side of the protest who would have guns. And if you start shooting into the crowd, it's not surprising that somebody shoots back. Like, it's not surprising that a kid with an assault rifle would hear a gunshot and would shoot back. Like happened in Kenosha. That shouldn't happen. There shouldn't be violence at these protests. But when one side is trying to have a peaceful protest and the other side is escalating the tensions with things like shooting paintballs or showing up with assault rifles. Both of those are escalating tensions. That is definitely raising the tensions to the level of a violent confrontation. This was a group going into a protest looking for a fight. Heck, both of those cases, both of those were cases where people were going into right-wing radicals were going into protests looking for a fight. We've been talking for years here on the podcast that that civilians do not need to have weapons of war unless you want to live in a war-torn country. And when children are gaining access to weapons of war and responding to a call from a far-right-wing militia group to defend a business, that's a huge part of... This is all just really messed up. <laughs> the, the, the centuries of systemic racism are a major, major, major issue that need to be resolved. The growing right-wing militia movement is something that is terrifying and needs to be resolved. You know, right-wing militias right now are not the public health crisis and human rights crisis that systemic racism is. But if left unchecked, they will be. In part because they will be a huge, that will become a growing part, will continue to be a growing part of the public health issues with systemic racism. And this violent, fascist, theocratic right-wing movement that is getting put on the stage at the Republican National Convention, who didn't even bother having a platform, yeah, they just support Donald Trump. And they're getting support from the president directly. The decision that the United States is going to be making on November 3rd is going to be, it, it is a decision between do we want radical militias shooting people in the streets or do we want to try to begin healing the wounds of our country? We are now joined by Casey Brink, the Director of Policy and Government Affairs for the Secular Coalition of America. Casey, welcome to Atheist Nomads. Thank you so much, Dustin. I appreciate you and Lauren inviting me on, and it's great to be here. So let's start off first with the organization you work for. Uh, what is the Secular Coalition for America, and what does it do? Sure. Um, our, you know, our mission is simple. We uh, advocate for the religious freedom that's guaranteed in the First Amendment of the Constitution. Um, you know, 
our work is to bring respect and visibility to non-theists. Um, you know, we have 19 organizations that are, are that are part of our coalition uh, that in, includes you know hundreds of local secular communities. And working with our allies in the faith community, uh, we try to combine the power of grassroots activism, activism with professional lobbying to make an impact on the laws and policies that govern the separation between religion and government. You said 19 member organizations? That's correct. That's a and lot. You can go to our website. You, you can go to our website at secular.org, and uh, we have a list of all of them. And, of course, it links to their websites as well, and you can learn all about what they do. Um, some of their missions differ slightly from ours, uh, but we all do fall under the secular umbrella, and we're so happy to have such a strong team with us working on this mission. Right, because, yeah, like that includes like American Atheists and American Humanists, but also smaller organizations, too. Absolutely. Uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation, uh, Black Nonbelievers, um, Atheist Alliance of America, the Center for Inquiry. Um, the list goes on and on. Camp Quest. Yeah. I, I, I can sit here for 10 minutes and, and name all of our, our members' organizations. Um, but again, I welcome your, your listeners to go to secular.org and you can learn about everything that they do there and everything that we do as well. Um, and also, uh, if they're so inclined, there's that donate button at the top right of the, the homepage. All right, so. so you can donate directly to the Secular Coalition, but can't Absolutely. join it unless you're an organization. No, no, no. Well, we, we absolutely have our own membership. Oh, okay. um, you can go to our website there and you can sign up for our newsletters and, and for all of our mailings and, and uh, find out the latest that's going on in the secular community, um, as well as what our, our member organizations, our partners are doing uh, to make sure that that separation, that separation between uh, you know, government and, and religion is maintained and strengthened. All right. Yeah, and I've been on that mailing list for a long time and and i have to say the the articles you've been writing have been really good well that's appreciated you know we we try to 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 put that information out there as, as much as we can to make sure that the secular community stays uh well informed and uh, understands what's happening in washington on their behalf so then from and the sca is a 501c3, right? Or is it a C4? We are also, we are both. We, both. we do have the, ed, <laughs> right. We do have the education and advocacy arm, um, but we also do have the direct lobbying arm. So um, the, the donations are not tax deductible, unfortunately, but um, those dollars do go to make a direct impact in Washington um, by putting your voices or the secular community's voices uh, directly in front of uh, our elected officials who make policy, and and uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure that religion stays out of those policies. And that also means that you aren't bound by the Johnson Amendment because it's not tax deductible, right? No, well, well, we or we uh, well, so that, that, that we 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 are bound by the Johnson Amendment, um, but we do. Uh, advocate on issues that are specific. So okay. um, it's very easy to, to sort of figure out where we stand on each issue. And it might not always be with the same party. And um, but but that is, is something that we do adhere to. Yes. Okay. All right. So then uh, that, that will uh, that helps shape what my next question is. So I don't get you in trouble. Uh, sure. <laughs> Even though nobody's actually enforcing that right now, I still don't want you to get in trouble. Uh, well, that's a whole nother. So that's part of what we're fighting for. You know, when the when this administration came in, the, one of the first things that that the president did was uh, claim, uh, you know, make claims that the Johnson Amendment has been all but abolished, and and that that's one of the top priorities of his administration. Um, so you know. We understand that it's not necessarily being enforced right now. We hope that that will change soon. Well, and if you are trying to fight to to get it enforced, if you're not following it, then your argument's going to be a lot weaker. Right, exactly. 
Um, and we do our very best to make sure that we do not uh, violate the Johnson Amendment. But, um, you know, we understand that it is happening out there. All right. And then I guess, uh, what exactly is it supposed to prevent? So the Johnson Amendment was designed to prevent uh, nonprofit and religious organizations from campaigning from the pulpit, essentially, right. uh, from supporting a political candidate over another uh in an official capacity. And so that is something that has been um, completely ran roughshod over over the past three and a half, four years. And um, it's something that we would like to see enforced once again. So then I could talk to you about policy issues and government officials, but not necessarily about... Campaigns? We don't officially support any political candidates. Right. That, okay. that's, that's the best way to put that. Right. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say, we don't officially support or endorse any political candidates. But we do advocate on the issues. And I think right. that uh, the people can find out very easily for themselves um, on uh, which candidates support secular values and which don't. So with the, the current direction that the government has been taking uh mm. including the supreme court yeah how how much of the wall of separation is left well it's deteriorating quickly um you know and I, i'm 46 years old i worked on capitol hill for over 10 years and i worked in a federal agency for another almost a year um and i have never seen the assault on the establishment clause as great as it is right now in my entire life. Um, it's shocking really. And, and, you know, one of the things I'd like to, to purvey to the other side is, you know, it, right. It's all good, good and well when it's their religion and their people who are sort of violating, you know, eroding that wall. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happens when it's not your religion and when it's not your constituency who are eroding that wall, who are you know holding these uh, these higher offices? And that would be my argument to the other side is, you know, it goes both ways. And be careful what you what you practice. Right. Because it can come back to bite you. So, yeah. um that's one of the things that we're, that that I personally sort of try to get across to to offices that don't necessarily aren't usually receptive to secular ideas. Um, so that's something that we are going to continue to do and 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 try to try to increase that sort you know the 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 population or at least the knowledge of secularism and what it really is about on Capitol Hill. Well, the same people who make claims that there's Sharia districts in Dearborn, Michigan, are right. a lot of the same people who are trying to erode the separation of church and state, which would prevent That's Sharia right. districts from being set up in Dearborn, Michigan. Right, right. That's exactly right. Um, it's it, you know, it, I, I would always refer to so Representative Jamie Raskin, who's a member of the Congressional Free Thought Caucus, is one of the most brilliant congressional scholars I've ever come across in my, in my uh, career. And, um, j just, I, I would, if anybody ever had any questions or, or wanted to hear somebody speak eloquently on the, uh, on, uh, on the constitution, I would listen to, uh, and the first amendment in particular and the establishment clause, I would listen to, um, speeches that representative Braskin has put out. You can easily go to his, I'm sorry, I don't have a link ready for you, but, um, I know that you can just YouTube Brett Braskin and his speeches will pop up um, that. He's a great resource for your listeners. Okay. And then, so, so obviously, yeah, church state separation, um, what are kind of the, some of the specifics that you're you're lobbying on right now? So, well, you know, the recent Supreme Court rulings that have come down, whether it be Montana versus Espinoza, Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania, um, these decisions are extremely concerning to our community and to the secular nature of our government. Um, I, I'm not sure how much your your listeners have been following the Supreme Court, I'm sure a lot. Um, but 
in Montana versus Espinosa, basically now the floodgates have been opened for federal dollars to be going to private, which are mostly predominantly religious affiliated schools. Um, that, that erosion itself is shocking. You combine that with what's been going on in the CARES Act uh, with the Paycheck pay pay Protection Program where uh, for the first time in the history of our of our nation, we've been paying religious clergy for their service. Um, so the uh, the things that we are advocating about right now um, at, at, SA, at SEA have mostly fallen under those lines. Uh, we have uh, been talking a lot about our concerns about uh, the vouchers that are being contained in the COVID-19 relief packages. Um, as well as our concerns about the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, two, uh, there was a bill that was intro introduced by, uh, it was a, you have companion bills, one on the Senate and one on the House side. Uh, the, the Senate side bill was introduced by Re uh, Senator Warren. Um, it is called the CORE Act. Um, and, it is, and on the House side, it is also the CORE Act, and that was introduced by Representative Jayapal, um, who is a member of the Congressional Free Thought Caucus mm -hmm. as well. Those bills would provide rigorous oversight over any uh, entities who have received federal funds through the Paytech Protection Program. Um, so that's something that we are supporting wholeheartedly. We would love to see uh, exactly where that money has been spent that has gone to these religious institutions. Um, a, a couple other pieces of legislation that we're, we're supporting strongly right now, the STOP FGM, which is Female Genital Mutilation Act. Mm -hmm. That was introduced represent, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. Um, we would love to see that pass. Of course, the blasphemy resolution uh, introduced by Representative Raskin, which has strong bipartisan res uh, support. Um, and there's a companion uh, resolution to that as well in the Senate and introduced by uh, a very conservative representative, uh, I'm sorry, Senator Lankford from Oklahoma. So, um, you know, that, that bill should have strong bipartisan support. And we would love to see it passed. Um, I'm sure you're, you and your listeners are very aware of the American who was killed in, in uh, Pakistan recently. Uh, he was tried under, under blasphemy laws and was shot and killed in court. Um, so these are, these are things that we're strongly uh, advocating for. And of course, the Equality Act and the Women's Health Production Act and the Each Woman Act and the Scientific Integrity Act. I mean, these are all bills that we will be working on both in this Congress and uh, in the 117th Congress. Um, I don't want to say, but possibly there will be a new uh, administration in in the in the Oval Office that will be more receptive to a lot of these pieces of legislation. So we're looking forward to really getting uh, our noses back to the grindstone. Well, if, um, if we want to be not use partisan language in it, right. uh, if the election goes well, the we will have a more rational member, a more rational occupant of the White House and hopefully be able to flip the Senate to being under the control of more rational people. That is a good way to put it. Rational is what we want. Because <laughs> right now, the Republican Party does not seem to be in any way whatsoever rational. Which is something I, I, I Republicans would, should be as concerned about as anybody else. Right. Uh, I agree with you completely. You know, so speaking to my time on the Hill, I worked for three different Republicans. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I was born and raised based and not born, but I was raised here in DC. Um, and so, I, and ending up working for Republicans was sort of just by chance for me. Um, that said, I'm also a veteran. Um, so I do have you know, a, a sort of that patriotic sense sensibilities, uh, in, in my own political thinking, but, um, you know, I, have always sort of sided on the on the on the left hand side of most issues. So um, yeah, I can confidently agree. Uh, I confidently agree with you that the Republican Party has sort of lost its way in the mm -hmm. last four years, um, and it's not the party that I knew growing up, on, and not even the party that I remember working for as recently as as uh, four years ago. So. Yeah. Um, 
it, it's something that, that, you know, the voters will determine in November and we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. You know, if, if the people formerly referred to as Tea Partiers in the Republican Party were to lose their seats, we might actually have a chance at getting two viable, reasonable parties again. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's been a drastic swing, and I, I feel like, you know, both parties, um, uh, to some extent, can, can come a little bit more towards the center, center lane, but, um, you know, my, my main concern is that separation between state and religion, and we want to do everything that we can to make sure that religion does not have any input in any of the laws that govern our nation. Yeah. Uh, so with working for three Republican congressmen, was that why you saw so many religious lobbyists or were sure Democrats that, getting sure as much? That, absolutely. I'm sure that had something to do with it. You know, the, the first member I worked for was from Indiana. Um, and I was uh, given that job on a temporary basis. They, ba they basically told me, hey, you'll be here nine months. And in nine months, somebody else is taking your job. That happened, and uh, uh, at that point, I'd sort of made my bed on the hill as far as who I could work for. So I just sent my resume out, and I was fortunate enough to be hired on by uh, a member from Florida, and I worked for him for quite, quite, quite many years. And um, uh, I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the man. Um, and although I didn't always agree with him politically, um, it taught me a lot working in that office, and I and I learned a lot about what influences uh, politics on Capitol Hill, so, or policymaking, more specifically, I should say. So then, how, how common is it for people in congressional offices to really just be people who are trying to do a job, not ideologues who are trying to advance a particular agenda? So, you know, it, it's funny. I came across both. It, it's sort of a mix. Um, I think there are a lot of people up there who are um, are, do, are just trying to do a job. You know, that's something that they've uh, always uh, aspired to is work in Washington. And it didn't really matter on who they were working for. But um, you, you certainly have the other end of the spectrum as well, where people who have been uh, very dedicated to movements or ideals. And, and that's what's driven them to Washington. So I saw a mix of both. Um, but I will say this, you know, most Capitol Hill staffers are, A, they're very educated people. Mm -hmm. um, and so that sort of lends itself to a little bit less of um, extreme thinking, whether it be uh, from what e either party that they work for. So I, I, I think that a lot of Capitol Hill staffers, and also just the nature of having to compromise through your work, um, allows for them to sort of see both sides more than your typical uh, person out in the public would. You know, they're seeing both sides of the issue a lot. Um, so I, I like to believe um, in the good in people, right? So yeah. I like to believe that, that when people are formulating policy and the people that I work for, 99.9% um, .9 of them were good people who, uh, who wanted to do honest work and, and put forth uh, the right, the right message. Um, but it also depends on who you work for a lot, you know? So, um, you're, you're sort of restrained by what your boss wants, just like anybody is in the real world. So, mm -hmm. um, it goes both ways, but again, I, I feel like most Hill, uh, Capitol Hill staff are middle, middle of the road when it comes to how they think about the issues and, and, and what needs to be done. Um, that's not to say they don't advocate strongly for their side because they do. Um, but they have that ability to, to compromise and, and see both sides in order to get the job done. Okay. Which just about anybody in any job is going to be not as opinionated at work as they might be at home. Generally speaking, right, <laughs> right. That's a great way to put it. Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, but yeah, so you get you got to see some of that transition firsthand. As I did, 
the you know an entire well the political system entirely imploded on itself i did that you must know, have, um that must have been uh pretty nerve-wracking it, 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 it you know i guess when you're in sort of in the mix it you don't it doesn't affect you as much just because you're you're so busy dealing with everything but um i can certainly understand the concern that uh everyone has regarding our political system and and the lack of sort of uh compromise that that we see or the lack of progress that we've been seeing um but it's something that uh i have faith in the american people that through our elections and through our 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 system and through our uh shared sort of common goals that we will continue to make the progress that we need to move this country forward all right so you are still optimistic i am i am i think you have to be to be in this to be in this job um if you're if you're completely cynical then you know what's the point um if you feel like you can't make a difference then why are you here trying to make a difference so yeah i am optimistic i believe the the demographics show that the the country is moving towards a secular sort of state um and that's encouraging to me uh you know the even the number of republican atheists are on the rise that's encouraging to me um it, it's something that i can see you know as the secular community oftentimes you know our values rise above the parties that we identify with. So um, I, I believe that there is a big swell in this nation towards a more, uh, you know, right now we have a lot of discourse happening and a lot of uh, unrest and, and rightfully so. Um, but I believe that that cause that causes greater discourse and, 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 and greater understanding. So um, yeah, I am encouraged. I, I think right now it's always darkest before the dawn, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of how I'm feeling right now. All right. Yeah. And, and you can, when you look around at history, it's, you see plenty of examples of political polarization and egotistical ideologues or not even ideologues, egotistical would be tyrants being able to right promote gridlock in the legislature and seize complete control. And like that's happened in almost every other country that's had a system you know, that's been based on the American system of government. But right. there's also examples where things get bad and ugly and that promotes reform and major change and major improvement. Right. And that, and that sort of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier um, when, when speaking to the other, you know, to the, to the other side of, or, or whatever, um, is that, you know, we need to remember that, you know, it's don't, you can't support one tyrant and then say the next person is a tyrant. Um, so that needs to be understood, I think. Um, and it needs to be understood by all sides. Uh, that we need to stick by our constitutional values and mm -hmm. adhere to them strictly, um, no matter the party in, in power. Uh, and that's something that I believe has been sort of lost over the last four years. So um, it's something I look forward to see being restored, and uh, I think it would better us all. Well, even just over the last 20 years, consistently, we've been seeing more and more executive power this is true this is true um uh, every president seems to increase the amount of executive orders they issue and and things of that nature that's another thing that seo will be working on uh in the 117th congress is um seeing what what can be done about executive orders um so yeah the you're right. That erosion seems to have been going on quite a while now, and it's really starting to uh, show itself. And I think people are starting to react to it. And um, I think that's a uh, that's what you, you've seen in the past couple of elections. It sort of swung back and forth, right? The American mm -hmm. people are trying to find out exactly uh, 
where it's all going to land. And I, I think that this election coming up in November is sort of, you know, those were playoffs. And I, I look at like, this is the big game, right? So, yeah. um, uh, again, I'm very encouraged and hopeful. Um, and I look forward to continuing the work that we've been doing and hopefully getting even better results. All right. So then, okay, let's say hypothetical. Uh, Joe Biden wins the presidency and Democrats get 60 seats in the Senate and maintain control of the House. What kind of of bills would the SCA be pushing at that point? Well, so our wish list, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So our wish list. Uh, Let's see, we would love to see a repeal of RIFRA. Um, we would love to pass the Nonprofit Transparency Act and require churches to file 990. Um, we want to see some, judici- uh, some judicial reform uh, and increase the number of federal judges who uh, have sort of a secular viewpoint. Um, as so, far that as be, so that would be both just increasing the number of judges as well as you know, doing the, the uh, packing the, the courts. We would like to see an overhaul of the judicial system in general. But yes, that, those would be the goals. We would like to see more judges um, that are friendlier to constitutional value. So not uh, uh, Heritage Foundation picks. <laughs> right. That's correct. Not the Heritage Foundation picks. Okay. Right. Um, but, but that's just the name of you. And, and again, um, some of the other bills do no harm, uh, scientific integrity, the no ban act, stop FGM, uh, the, the list goes on and on. Um, but SCA and our partner, uh, organizations will continue to be at the forefront of that work and putting our Voices and faces in front of Capitol Hill legislators and staff and making sure that they know what the secular community is is concerned about and what we are looking to have accomplished. All right. And then how closely do you guys work with the, the Congressional Free Thought Conference or, or caucus? Extremely close. They are our strongest allies and advocates on Capitol Hill. Um, we could not be more grateful or happier about the work that they do on the behalf of the secular community. Um, the Congressional Free Thought Caucus has the only openly non-theist member of either the House or Senate uh, as its chair. Uh, that would be Representative Jared Hoffman from California. Um, and also uh, Representative Raskin serves as the co-chair. He is uh, Jamie Raskin. He's from Maryland. Um, again, he's the, the representative I mentioned earlier, who's such an incredible constitutional scholar. Um, I highly recommend anybody to, to listen to what he has to say about the subject. You know, as a, as, again, as a former Republican staffer, you know, I just listen to this guy and I, 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 you know, I want him to run for president one day. So um, <laughs> I really do. He's incredible. And I'm actually very lucky to live right across the street from his district. Literally, if I lived across the street, I would be in his district. But, <laughs> right? Oh wow! So, but I am in D.C., so that, that's a good good yeah. spot. Elder Norton Holmes is a wonderful representative. Um, so, uh, but I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot what we were talking about, Dustin. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so but yeah, the, the the how closely you work with the the Congressional Free Thought. Uh, right, right, right. So, so yes, absolutely. Uh, very closely. Um, they, again, they are our champions on Congress. So yeah. in Congress, so, you know, whenever we, um, are looking to sort of push an initiative or just even feel out an idea that, that those are the initial offices that we will reach out to and, and get movement on and see what we can, what can be done on a particular issue or particular issue. Um, but again, we're extremely grateful for their their action and their support and uh, and everything that they do. They're extremely gracious uh, and couldn't be happier with what they do. All right. Now I'm going to ask you the opposite scenario. Sure. What if Donald Trump wins re-election, keeps con- the Republicans keep control of the Senate, 
and they take back the house. What would the SCA's focus then be? Well, my job security would be really good. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That's about. That, that's what I keep. T- I, I'm trying to find silver linings here, Dustin. You know. Yeah. yeah. Trying to find silver linings, man. Um, but so, uh, w- what would be the concern there? Well, what wouldn't be the concern? It's Donald. It's the, the, this administration yeah. with in their second term with no sort of you know checks and balances um, as far as the second election goes. So um, I, you know, SCA will continue to advocate as strongly as we possibly can um, on the issues that affect the secular community. And we will continue to push for the bills that we would like to see passed and signed into law. And we will do anything that we can to make sure that that is done. Um, It'll be a busy time for us and we'll have a lot to address. Uh, you know, just recently, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo and his Commission on Unalienable Rights came out with their report, uh, which is heavily framed about a, around a sort of Protestant Christianity view of human rights um, through history. And so, you know, there are concerns about that being used to formulate foreign policy. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, the, the list goes on and on. So, uh, SEA will be very busy if that's the case. Um, as far as the reception we would get um, to our to our voices uh, would would be certainly questionable. Um, but we're we're looking for you know for something beyond that in November. So yeah. Um, but again, if that is the case. Uh, we will be as loud and as strong an advocate as the secular community as we ever have been. Um, and we will continue to do that work on, on Capitol Hill in Washington to make sure that the community is, is not only represented, but listened to and, uh, and acknowledged. So, okay. um, that's, you know, that's our mission. So <laughs> if the election goes one way, you'll be working on making progress. If the election goes the other way, you'll be trying to fight, going the wrong way exactly i mean i think that's the best way to put it you know it's either are we going to be moving forward or are we going to be you know that being a bulwark against uh regression so that is the that's what's at stake in november and i hope that all of your listeners go out in november and vote or mail in their vote um we would like to see record numbers at the polls this year and i think that if that happens uh we'll be looking at the the first scenario that you that you spoke of all right and then what have you been seeing on on access to the polls i'm sure that's something you're you're watching as well uh this is a a, a tricky time (laughs) it is you know um for the administration to be limiting the postal service during a time of national pandemic or worldwide pandemic and yeah, and a le- and a, a presidential election coming up, it just is staggering. So, um, yeah, we are going to do anything that we can to advocate for people getting out the vote. And one of the ways that you can do that is by going to uh, one of our member organizations is is has organized the Secular Votes Initiative this year. They're the Secular Students Alliance. Um, I highly recommend your viewers, or I'm sorry, your listeners go to their website and get involved that way. If you have, you can register to vote there and uh, they'll tell you, show you your voting stations and all that good stuff. So um, I highly recommend a, a visit to their website. They do a lot of good work. They have over, I believe, 300 chapters at universities and college campuses across the country. And uh, the work that they've been doing this year to get the vote out is incredible. And we're, we're very proud of that, that effort. All right. And then, of course, I'm sure from what I've seen, it's request your ballot now and fill it out right. as soon as you get it. If you get it, that's right. If you're voting by mail. Yep. Request it yesterday and yeah. fill it out yesterday. <laughs> and send it in. That's right. We, we, we want to make sure that all of those votes are counted and, and, and uh, there's no. Uh, reason for dispute or or uh, 
challenging or anything of that nature in November. We want to see a clean, smooth election and uh, a landslide for secular values is what we would love to see. All right. And then uh, flipping things, uh, turning things around, uh, your your background, um, you've written about it on, on a number of occasions uh, in the, the SCA newsletter. Um, yeah. So you... You said you were, you, you've been an atheist almost your entire life. Did you grow up in a religious household? So I did. Well, I wouldn't say it was religious. You know, it, my, both of my parents were raised Catholic. Um, my mother, at one point, before uh, meeting my father, wanted to be a nun, even for a short <laughs> period. Um, but, but growing up, she was never vocally religious or outspoken about it um to me or or my brother um i I, we didn't go to church uh every sunday until i i guess i my my father remarried when i was in junior high school and and uh my stepmother and her kids went to church so we started going with them and uh i was basically forced to go to church for you know seven years of my life although i will say the last four and a half it would be usually me, me and my brothers would we would say we were going to the later mass and we would just go you know drive around and get into trouble usually <laughs> we, we we'd pick up we'd pick up the program for the for the mass and then we'd head home and, and show the program to my stepmother and she'd be satisfied and that'd pretty much be it okay. so um but, but yeah uh, but personally you know i i sort of i i think i sort of started you know, understanding my lack of a belief in a in a, a god or or whatever you want to call it, right around the same time as I probably started uh, started realizing Santa Claus wasn't real. Um, but I sort of took that and and kept it to myself and never really thought about it or talked about it too much. Um, and then later on in life, I would end up joining the army. Um, and then in the army, you sort of experience religion in a whole different way um it's sort of pushed on you by uh the institution itself in some ways and then you'll have you know superiors who uh, who are above you who are religious or devout in some sort of fashion and they sort of try to influence that upon those under them and um you know i saw that a lot and so uh again i I didn't think about it too much because I didn't really let it affect me too much. And I think that's another issue that we as atheists in general might have, Uh, you know, speaking as somebody who's new to the movement, I think it's a little different than somebody who's been involved in it for maybe 20 years or or whatever, and and very sort of vocal and and been a a vocal advocate about it, about the issues. But um, I think that, you know, if you're a religious person, you sort of have this strong religious belief, right? And you mm-hmm. want to talk about it and it's a very important to you. If you have no belief, you don't really think about it that much, right? Until it becomes to affect you, until you see these other people's beliefs being forced upon you. So that's, that's something I think that we need to start educating uh, the general public on, like, hey, are you an atheist? Think about it and think about <laughs> what that means and think, and think about mm-hmm. how that affects you and and affects you know and how everyone else not being an atheist affects you um i think that that would mobilize more people into sort of understanding the importance of secularism and 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 would get them to get involved um and i, I and again i was guilty of it myself again i didn't think about it much um until later on in life and until i got in the army and then of course working on capitol hill when i saw the influence that religion is playing in these you know in these federal institutions whether whether it be the military or capitol hill or in our agencies or whatever and so um you know there's a reason why the first amendment is the first amendment um and so uh, i'm a big believer in the united states constitution and uh and i think that you know that that that'll always be the sort of the the founding place that we should all go when it comes to governance right well and like you you wrote about a story i believe it was uh memorial day when uh, you were in the army in somalia where you got to yeah. interact with muslims and mm-hmm. devout evangelicals yeah 
Um, did that kind of sh- shake up your the way you viewed the relationship between you know religion and and just life in general? Well, it did. I mean, you saw that both sides were convinced that they were absolutely right in their in their uh, viewpoints to the point where violence was acceptable um, and uh, and even justified and even praised. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, and I saw it on both sides. Uh, I saw it from the, from the, you know, soldiers from Alabama all the way to the, to the Somali, um, you know, from Mogadishu. And it, it sort of solidified my, my thinking that these people are all wrong <laughs> and, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, it, and, you know, at the very least, if there is a God, at the very least, he's absentee. Of course, this is when I was much younger. Um, so why, why all the, you know, bluster and why all the, all the dedication um, to violence and, and hurting somebody else um, in any person's name? So, um, yeah, it, it solidified my, my atheist beliefs and uh, made me understand that uh, religion, in my opinion, has all has caused more issues than it's than it's helped, um, and so that sort of was my own personal path to to really recognize being a self recognized atheist and and stating it openly and and loudly. And did you see more pushing of religion from commanders or chaplains? Um, you know, I don't know. Have you ever seen Full Metal Jacket? Yeah. And then the, the scene where the drill sergeant is making them all stand up and sing happy birthday to Jesus. Um, you certainly come across that that type of person in the military. Um, but, you know, I, I honestly, I was in for three years. Um, a big chunk of that time I was in the field, I was either sleeping on top of a tank or I was in Africa. Um, so... I didn't have a lot of interaction with the chaplain um, simply because I, you know, as an atheist, I, n- I never went to any services mm-hmm. or, or, or partook in any, any of that. Um, I certainly was present for uh, prayers for the platoon and things of that nature. Um, but again, I just sort of kept my mouth shut and just went about my business. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I started working it, in government that I really understood that, Hey, as an atheist, I need to get involved. I need to understand what's going on. I need to pay attention to, uh, the erosion that we're seeing, uh, between that wall. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that was the driving forces behind my sort of becoming a self-recognized atheist and then wanting to do something about it in a professional level. Okay. Getting back to the wall, uh, with that being in as a poor of shape as it is right now, mm-hmm. what do we need to do to rebuild it? Um, you know, there. I mean, if we're speaking technical legislation, there are things that can be done. Again, the repealing RIFRA. Um, uh, I would like to see uh, a judicial system that pays more attention to the establishment clause in the First Amendment. Um, uh, Do we need legislation to make it more explicit? That would be something that that should certainly be looked at and considered. Um, you know, there are a million lawyers on Capitol Hill and, and in these organizations who would love to, I'm sure, draft up something to, to strengthen that First Amendment and... Uh, you know, we're going to do everything that we can, um, whether it, 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 from the from the biggest issues like that to the smallest ones, um, because they all matter, mm-hmm. uh, and they all are that are they all add to that porousness that you were just mentioning. So, um, yeah, we're, we'll continue to do everything that we can, whether it's legislatively, uh, advocacy wise, or just educating the general public on what's going on. <laughs> so, replace the Religious Freedom Restoration Act with the. Church State Separation Restoration Act. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. We'd love it. <laughs> yeah. 
Because I, I could easily, because that's one of those where it's, it's mostly Supreme Court precedent based off of a phrase in the Constitution, right? Right. Correct. So if that's all they have to go off of, then that's all they have to go off of. But if Congress were to right. clearly define then- prohibiting the establishment of religion means all of this. Right. Right. So uh, amending that that amendment. So that would be certainly one way to go about doing it. We know how hard it is to amend the Constitution, though. Right. Um, And so uh, there are other legislative paths to get that done. One would be, you know, repealing these these uh, bills that have been uh, sort of gerrymandered and used uh, against what their intentional purpose was for um you know refer is a perfect example even the the author of the bill has since come out against it um because it's been abused and and used in the wrong way so um these are things that that we are going to continue to advocate for and there are paths forward to strengthen that wall and get it back to where it needs to be um it just you know the american people need to need to make their decisions in November and we will see about how we can do that going from there, I think. Right. Right. Because Riffra was, wasn't that about Navajos being free to smoke peyote? Correct. Correct. That's exactly. It was, it was mostly to help native American uh, religions uh, stop the encroachment a on their land. Cause you know, many times their religions involved specific, portions of land that mm-hmm. um that if the government was to build a project on or something like that that would be gone so so those those were the initial reasons for rifra and since have been distorted and used to uh you know prevent people from getting services and things of that nature so um yeah it's certainly something that we'd like to see repealed and and uh fixed going uh let's go ahead and wrap up Sure. Yeah. Um, Casey, it's been really good having you on the podcast. Uh, but first reach out to you, I think it was in April. So glad we were, we were able to make this happen. Absolutely. What can people do right now to help the work that you do? Absolutely. I appreciate that. And first, I want to thank both you and Lauren for, for having me on your podcast. It's a wonderful show. And uh, I love the work that you all do. And I hope that you continue to do it. And, and uh, I can't thank you enough for, for the support that you give the community. Um, if the people, if your listeners want to help, the best thing that they can do is go to secular.org uh, and, and sign up for our newsletter so you can get all that information. And while you're there, if uh, I, we understand that these are difficult times that um, a lot of people are struggling right now. But if you have the capacity um, while you're at, on our website, finding out what we do, um, hit that that donate button up at the top, top right hand portion of the home page it's a big red button you can't miss it um every dollar goes to fighting for secular values in washington and ensuring that that separation between uh you know state and, and religion is maintained and strengthened and uh every dollar is also appreciated so um we encourage them to do that uh and or at the very least just go to our website and check it out and see what we're doing um we, we always appreciate people who are informed and understand what we're doing in Washington on their behalf. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. I hope you enjoyed the interview and we have some feedback from Rich as a follow-up to his last comment. Uh, He wrote, Dustin, I should have qualified my remark about the one-third stupidity ratio. More likely on any given issue, one-third of the population will take a stupid position, but are not necessarily stupid all the time, although some certainly are. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. <laughs> Thanks for that, that uh, qualification. Now, I would say when you look at the correlation between devout religious people, their support for Trump, and seemingly opposition to all human rights, it is looking more and more like that one-third is coalescing into the same group of people. Hopefully that can change. And we got a new patron, Big Easy Blasphemy. So thank you, Big Easy. Uh, If you want to contact us, you can reach us at contactatheistnomads.com. 
You can use the speak pipe button on the website or the contact form on the website at atheistnomads.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find out how at atheistnomads.com slash donate, or just go to the Patreon page at patreon.com slash atheistnomads. Until next week, this has been The Atheist Nomads. Thank you for listening to another episode of Atheist Nomads. You can find show notes and contact information at atheistnomads.com. Follow us on Twitter at Atheist Nomads. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash atheistnomads. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review. Theme music is courtesy of Sturdy Fred. Until next time, this has been The Atheist Nomads. Atheist Nomads.